Welcome to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast, a weekly podcast where we dive into the latest leadership news, tips, and strategies. I'm your host, Mike Sipple Jr., co-founder and CEO of the Talent Magnet Institute, best-selling author, speaker, and podcaster. Through the insightful interviews with experts from various industries and backgrounds, we unpack the skills, traits, and mindsets crucial for effective leadership in today's world. From embracing failure to leading with empathy, we uncover the unconventional strategies shaping the future of leadership. Whether you're a seasoned leader seeking to stay ahead of the curve or aspiring to develop the skills and insights to succeed, the Unconventional Leadership Podcast has something for you. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo and explore what it means to be an unconventional Well, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. I have the pleasure to be sitting across from the great uh, Becky Sheeler, EVP at Centennial Executive Search. And uh, Becky, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you, Mike, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, one of the conversations, Becky, that you and I have been having, and we decided to hop back on the mic and have this further conversation is all about the experience that individuals are having in the recruiting and search experience right now. So what are companies feeling? How can a company prepare itself if it's thinking about or is identified or aware of a search that's coming? And um, and walk our listeners through that experience around the preparation, around the thoughtfulness um, to create a great candidate experience, not just a good one. So are you ready? I think so. Yes. Thanks. Okay. So everyone, just so you're aware, uh, Becky Sheeler probably leads more executive searches in a year than most do in a lifetime. So uh, Becky has an entire delivery team that works with her. Her and I have had the pleasure of uh, working alongside of each other for 15 years here at Centennial and now also Talent Magnet. And prior to that, Becky and I also had a relationship with the organization she was with that Centennial did work for as a partner. So we've known each other for a very long time, probably going on 20 or so years. So, um, so we've got a lot of experience in this space. And our thought was to really help you as you're identifying um, almost every organization, Becky, can take a step back and think about over the next three years, there's a couple of key transitions that are probably going to take place. You might be saying, Mike and Becky, I've got one in the next six months, right? That might be taking place inside my organization. So our thought was, you know, Becky, I'm going to start with you. If I'm sitting here as a company executive and I'm saying, Becky, I know that there's something in the horizon over the next 18 to 36 months. I'm going to, you know, my CFO is going to be retiring. My VP of marketing is going to, you know, probably leave and go start her own organization. Uh, my VP of sale, my director of sales, I don't know if he's going to be able to become a vice president. What are you asking me to help me prepare myself and my team for that process? Great question. Thanks, Mike. I think one of the most important things is that fit in your organization, not only where you are today, but what's the right fit in the future. So that's one of those things that you really can be thinking about at all times. 
what are the values that your organization has that are um, that you really hire, fire, promote with? So if it's honesty, integrity, curiosity, growth mindedness, you know, you know what those those values are that you really, really hold up high in the organization. And, you know, I think one of the easiest, simplest uh, exercises that I remember when I first joined Centennial, we used to ask our clients is, who's the rock star in your organization? And it could be the front desk, and quite often it's the front desk receptionist because they are cheerful, they greet people with a smile, you think, you know, you know, they're happy to be there. At least they behave like they're happy to be there. Um, you know, if that's really important, if that's a, a benchmark for your organization, even though you're hiring your CFO, what are those qualities that really attract people to that person that you're identifying as your rock star? And those are probably important in all of your positions, even if it's, you know, a coder and that, nobody ever sees when you do see them, you know, they love being, you know, at their desk working heads down, but when they are out and about, you know, there's still some qualities that match your, your key values. Um, So what are those? And again, look at those often. They change over the years as your company grows and changes. So do these values perhaps, Um, and um, just make sure that they're up to date. So inventory your values, ask other people in the organization that you know and respect, ask your advisors, ask ask your vendors, why do you do business with us? Really good, keep a good, um, active, current inventory of what your values are. And then that's really your foundation right there. And Becky, I love that you're saying, because as I'm listening, I'm like, well, I may have one impression of what I believe our lived values are, but my employees, vendors, team members, stakeholders may have a very different view. So I love the fact that you're recommending, don't just take your own personal assessment, but ask those around you and or depending on what role you're in, you may have to have someone else ask those around you. That's right. Right. Because if you're the CEO of the organization or the owner of your organization, you may not get that feedback as open and honest as you're hoping. You may actually hear what you're hoping to hear. Right. That's right. I think a lot of times, not that you have blinders on and you don't think see things. I think a lot of times you take, you assume, or you just, assume everybody's doing it and they probably are, you don't even bring up the word like quality. Quality is a number one thing. And you might not articulate that on your list of things because it's a given. And in this scenario, people are going to bring that forward. And and now you have it concrete on your list to look for. That's awesome. So Becky, as I evaluate my values and I say, okay, I feel like I understand those. I know what we, as you said, hire, fire, and promote on. Um, what's my next step? How do I uh, go about sharing with the team and listing and building alignment, creating clarity for the organization so we show up clear when we start the process? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think a lot of time if you went into your team and said, hey, if we were to hire a new CFO and the CFO is like, wait, what, what, what? I'm not going anywhere. You know, it's really about succession planning. You know, if the CFO or if your VP of HR hit the lottery tomorrow, you know, yes, because they love your organization, they're always going to be around and be as an advisor, but they may not want to work day to day. So always having a succession plan and a, and a good idea of what the current skills are necessary to take the organization where they are today to where your strategy and your goals are for the future. I suggest three years out. Yes, you want to have a long-term vision of five and 10 years, but as far as talent goes, what are we going to need to get us through the next three years? Because things change so rapidly. So always ask the individual in that role today, if you had to look at your job description, if you had to change anything, how is it different from when you were hired into this to what you're actually doing? And I bet you nine times out of 10, it's going to be pretty different, or there's going to be some huge things in there that need to be called out. So have people do an inventory of their job description on a regular basis, have those conversations with the teams about, you know, how do you interact across cross-functionally? Is it more of an influence role or is it a management role? Really call those um, items out and understand what are the behaviors that an individual needs to have to make that role come to life and be really successful in it. And what are the outcomes? So I think that piece is really easy to overlook. Here's this laundry list of things I want this person to have experienced before they come here and responsibilities. But what is the outcome that this person in six months, in a year, in three years, should they be able to deliver to the team? So Becky, if I um, am saying to as a culture, we pretty much only get feedback from people who are in the job when they leave the job, right? So we only, we really only talk about what did you enjoy about the role that you've been in if you exit the organization, i.e. the kind of, I'll call it the old dusty approach of exit interviews. So what if I haven't asked people around my table, hey, let's evaluate your role. Like, what are you enjoying? What are you not enjoying? What barriers could we remove to help you be more successful? What if that's not part of my culture? What's the What's the response I have to be prepared for if this is the first time I'm asking the questions? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it would take me off guard if I wasn't prepared for that question. And they're going to be pondering that for quite a while. So you really need to build up to it and talk about not the job description, but just say, hey, we as an organization have to be prepared for anything. I used to sell life insurance. It was my first job out of college. I sold life insurance and nobody wants to talk about life insurance. I think when people hear, because that means I'm going to die, right? (laughs) When people hear succession planning, they think you're doing that because you're getting rid of me. That's not it. We have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that the company is healthy and to make sure that the company is healthy we have to have a backup plan for everything. 
a contingency plan. We have a contingency plan if the lights go out or if the computers go out. What about the contingency plan if I need to have an operation or you know something like that? All kinds of things. You always want to have a contingency plan. So talk about contingency plans. Talk about being prepared. Talking about the what if. I think that will ease into a conversation of, hey, this week, everybody, you know, at the next meeting, we're going to have a workshop. We're going to look at our job descriptions and see how do they link together at the C-suite? Where are their gaps? You know, if we've laid them all out, you know, is that in line with what you're doing today, what you need to be doing? And then are there any gaps here on the leadership team? It's a great, great thinking, great thought process to get people in. And as you, as you and I know, the further out us as the executive team is planning, right? If we start talking about a three, a five year, a 10 year, all of a sudden, and I, I know that the chaos of the world, it's, you know, as we break it down all the way to quarterly here inside our two organizations, right? Quarterly cadence with the use of EOS, um, but when we talk about 10-year and five-year, it also, when you have that discussion, people are able to say, I don't even know if I'll be here in 10 years, right? Like, hey, Mike, I'm thinking about, or hey, Becky, in five years, I'm expecting to change X, Y, and Z. And that's safe. That's okay. We want more conversations like that because, as you said, Becky, we have fiduciary responsibility to our stakeholders, to our employees, to their families, to our customers, um, that utilize our services and resources and products um, to plan for the future, right? And three to five years is quick, right? It moves so quick. So having this planning conversation, we're not judging your role. We're asking feedback to help us prepare for the future state. There was a project that Becky and I worked on for about three years together. One part of it was understanding the existing CEO and the existing org chart and what the board and the leadership team and management team of today, the state of the business today, how they were doing, what cadences they needed. And then talking to the board and asking the question over the next 15, you know, the organization had been around for 50 plus years. Um, over the next 50 years, where do you see your vision? Where do you, what do you want the thumbprint of this organization? How do you want it to be known a hundred years from now? And then backing into, oh, in the next 36 months, your CEO of 35 plus years is going to be departing the organization and let's build a plan. So this was a board that was so proactive. They wanted to understand current state. Let's evaluate current state. Let's talk about future state. And then what would the, not just the role of CEO, what would the organizational chart need to look like in 36 months? And then what can we be doing today to prepare the organization for any changes that we know are imminent and go ahead and start moving in that direction, preparing people for their own transitions? Because typically what we find when an executive leaves, a team transitions as well. Right. So being prepared for that. My heart goes out to individuals that I talk to that work in organizations that they love and they would do anything for. And then you ask them, what if something happened to 
you know, your CEO or the president of the organization and they're like, I have no idea if there's a succession plan. I mean, that's kind of scary if you are supporting a, a family or what, a, you know, you love your job, you're supporting your family and you have no idea what's going to happen if, and, um, you know, how there's that little nagging thing. I'm sure you go in and still do, do an amazing job every day, but wouldn't it be nice if you knew just kind of going back to that life insurance thing, wouldn't it be nice if you knew I'm going to be okay if something happens to my spouse? Wouldn't it be nice if you knew I'm going to be okay if something happens to the leader of my organization? Um, so take away that one piece of stress for your, your employees. Um, the other thing that I'm kind of seeing a lot of trend towards, I mean, we're all seeing shorter stays of executives. Sometimes, you know, plan on your CHRO or your CFO or um, to only be in your organization from, you know, three to seven years, something like that. And we are quite often asked, you know, um, I, I want to replace this position and I, I'm really hoping they'll replace me in 15 years. That's a big ask. We can find somebody that today has the characters and the characteristics and the values and the responsibilities that can work towards that, that has the intellectual horsepower and the abilities to work there. But to put, you know, just think realistically, I guess, in this, in this time, we typically don't see that happen. And when you say that, Becky, you mean that an individual, an executive or a, a board or a leadership team comes to you and says, hey, we want to find a new VP of manufacturing, head of HR, VP of marketing, director of sales, but we're looking for someone who could actually replace our CEO in 15 years or replace me, the hiring manager in some big um, long, far out number, like 15 years. Is that what you're, that's what you're referencing? Right. Yeah. We're getting asked that quite a bit lately. And it's a great ask. I mean, nobody, as a search firm, we don't go out and find, unless it's a turnaround or, you know, it's a family business and we just need to fill a gap between generation three and generation four. That's a very specific need. That's right. But there, we are seeing a trend, and they're usually larger privately held companies where they're asking, you know, we really want the, you know, our succession plan would be this person that you're bringing on now to probably stay for 15 or 20 years. That's a big ask because yeah. yeah. um, skill sets change, the environment change, the industry changes, um, and we can find somebody that can move you in that direction, but that's a long time. And it's not a, to use this phrase, but it's not a bailout, right? Like it's like you still have to develop said person, right. integrate said person, work with the individual, hope that the individual will be able to build the same level of trust and expectation and clarity inside the company. And it takes work right? It's not a, all right, we hired the person. And there are a lot that think that like, I'm just gonna, I need to, I need to get this so right. 
And then when they get the individual, they do nothing with that relationship that it builds the trust, the connection, the the reliability, the individual who is um, building cadence and future inside the organization that people are like, wow, I see why they hired this person. Now, when we have clients that do, and you have clients that take the extra step and create the conversations and don't shy away from the coaching experiences and are proactive in their approach of integrating said talent, whether that's with formal coaching or internal coaching, um, you know, and you don't have to say, well, we're hiring you because we hope you'll be our next CEO in 15 years. That's a really big way to create a lot of disappointment, but it is okay to plan for it. Right. I mean, I think about it all the time, you know, when we add someone to our team, where could this, what are the possibilities if we help this person unlock their fullest potential and create a culture inside the organization that this person really integrates with well and brings a lot of additional value and experience to, and what are the possibilities? But it takes intention to reach those possibilities. Hopefully my comment wasn't taken that you shouldn't think that way at all, but I wouldn't want you to pass over great candidates because you're like, I'm not sure they can take us in the future. Um, or, you know, maybe they're a little bit um, ten too tenured. You know, I don't see them still working in 20 years. You would want, I would hate for you to pass up some great talent to meet the next three to five years for something that's out 20 years. That's, that's really the essence of that message is um, you, you certainly don't want to just hire for today, but don't always put all your eggs into, can this person take us out to 20 years? Yeah. So how do I, what do I do to bring the rest of my team together? What are some of the conversations that I should sit down with my team and ask if we're evaluating about the next, you know, 18 months, three years, who are the individuals that we need to hire as a team? What are the skill sets? What conversations should I be having there? Because we know that when a candidate walks in, they don't just interview with the hiring manager, right? They're looking at their they're looking at their whole experience, how consistent the message is. Are the people on the team aligned? Is there a high sense of trust and integrity inside that that working unit that I'm going to be potentially welcomed into? Right. So what are the questions I need to do with the working unit of the management team, the leadership team, so that we're aligned when we decide we're going to go to market and hire someone? Yeah. Open, honest discussions. And a lot of those are, you know, what are the characteristics of this person that we're looking for? You know, those values that we talked about and and have like a scorecard a rubric you can you can find great rubrics if you google them what are the key things of a vp of sales or a strategic um you know an internal strategic business development person you can google those those um criteria and then make up questions as a team to support you know how can i get to their ability to open new doors? How can I get to their ability to use data to drive strategy? Um, so 
find, know as a team, what are those key things that you're looking for and build a rubric so that each person has a scorecard, know who's going to ask what questions and really be very consistent and true to that. And um, that way for the candidate experience, they're going to walk out of there. Wow. The team didn't ask me the same question. I didn't walk from one room to another and get asked the same question. They were um, prepared. They knew what they were looking for. The messages were consistent across the board from one room to the next room. Um, I didn't feel like there were, and these are some comments that we hear from candidates. I didn't feel like they were really telling me the whole story. I felt like there was something going on in the background. Be open. What are your challenges? Because candidates are smart. They know that there's challenges there. They'd rather know what they're walking into. And quite honestly, very few times do I talk to candidates that say, I'm hoping for my next opportunity to be really smooth. I don't want any challenges. I just want to maintain. Um, Let's be honest. You probably don't want them on your team and they don't want that organization. Very, very few times, if ever, have I heard that. So be open with your challenges. Be open with your vision. Be open with, you know, what your expectations are. That way that person can go in and, you know, leave the the interview excited or leave the interview going, wow, that role is probably not for me, but I think I know the right person for them. Yeah. Yeah. Becky, you just hit on something that we believe in our research that individuals in order to be not just the hired candidate, but the engaged candidate who wants to really dive into the organization and provide the greatest value possible. All of us want change, challenge, and growth right? It's human behavior to want to learn about the changes that we're getting ready to go through, the things that you're experiencing, the challenges you face, and the growth you're seeing for yourself. What does that growth look like, right? So nobody wants to stay stagnant. Nobody wants to come in and just say, oh, this is easy. I mean, oftentimes we hear people calling us saying, it's not a challenge anymore. And I thrive off the challenge, right? It's what got me here. And it's just not challenging. It feels like we're in autopilot. It feels like we're not talking about the big, tough questions. Candidates want to know the big, tough questions that we're working through as an organization, why we are where we are, what we're processing as a group. Because guess what? If you make an offer and they say yes, they're going to join into that tension. And you need to make sure that they're excited about and aware of the tension that they're about to be a part of. So again, this is all in preparation, Becky, right? We're not even talking about the actual recruiting process. We're talking about the preparation to make sure we as a team are prepared, aligned, and what I would say, and attractive as an organization, as a team to go, before we ever go recruit, we got to make sure that we're all aligned to build that attraction uh, for the candidate pool. That's right. That's right. There's um, a couple other things, you know, if, we hear often, what are the best assessments out there? Well, the best assessment is an assessment that's already been given to your leadership team. something that you've already validated within your organization. The best assessment is not a new one, not the newest, hottest thing off the press. 
it might sound sexy, but it's not probably the best one for your team because otherwise you might be creating a data point that's just floating in space. You need something to have it be relative to. So, um, and, and we're also here at Centennial, we're, assessments are not used to, yes, let's move this candidate forward or not move this candidate forward. Assessment should say, allow you to create some questions to get more clarity around some areas that maybe you see as a weak spot or um, you know, an area that you need just some more clarity around. Um, so ask more questions in that area. Yeah, so Becky, with what you just mentioned, like using an assessment inside your organization for team member alignment and team member development and team member skills and talents identification is awesome, right? And then when you're using the assessment to evaluate an individual, you're seeing how are they going to complement the room? What are they going to bring that's different, right? We need other quadrants covered in our assessment. We can't all be the same color scheme or the same alphabet or the same animal based on how the assessment creates output. But you've got to be using it inside the building before you go external. Otherwise, what's the point, right? And, and if an assessment is all about creating alignment, building the team, and how's the team going to work and integrate together to serve one another, to serve the ultimate problem, to solve the problems, to achieve the things we're setting out and to drive through the challenges we're going to face. Awesome. Use them, right? But make sure you use them is what Becky's saying. Because so often people ask us like, hey, we were told by an advisor that we should put an assessment into the process. And it's like, do you use assessments on a regular basis? Does your organization, are you trained on one? Do you understand how to maximize the assessment tool? Um, are you, how are you seeing the assessment tool show up inside your organization? Because quite honestly, Becky and I have seen environments where individuals who have high scores that would test from the outside into an assessment are not the individuals in the team don't test on high scores. Right. So, so the mismatches you can get are actually quite, um, quite damaging. And we've seen them be very damaging. Um, we've also seen decisions get made that didn't play out the way the client wanted, but played out the way that we saw it happening um, because we're pretty good at this, this role. Um, so, so using the tool, how do they integrate? I love your comment, Becky, of building the additional questions, right? Um, getting deeper into certain areas, like we're, we're going through this storm, this challenge we're foreseeing over the next three years, we're going to experience X, Y, and Z. Can this individual bring value to our team to help us get through X, Y, and Z, right? And oftentimes the value they bring is not already on the team. So it's going to look different. It's going to sound different. And that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, that outside perspective, that outside experience. Um, I'm all about promote with from within. Don't get me wrong. But bringing, uh, we, we've heard many years now about diversity on your team and the value that that brings. So just because they don't answer the question 
the way you were hoping them to, ask a follow-up question, ask another follow-up question. And that might even be training that your leadership team or your team that's going to be doing the um, interviews with, you know, what does a follow-up question do? When do you ask it? When don't you ask it? It's the, typically it's the third follow-up question is where you get to the meat of the answer. Excellent. So Becky, I'm planning, I'm taking notes as a listener. I'm saying, all right, we've got to work as a group. We need to map this out. We need to have the discussions. We need to evaluate ourselves and what's needed for the future. Basically in doing that, everyone, you're building what Becky just laid out. You're building a talent development plan uh, while you're thinking about your future state, right? So uh, so that's one additive of this episode. Um, anything else as I move into the um, the stage of like aligning the clarity, saying this is what we're going to do, this is the timeline, how much time should I give myself before, um, you know, if Mike's going to retire in three years, how much time should I give myself as a leadership team to be working on that process? Um, if you've already identified the candidate, let's say it's a family business, I I had a front row seat to a succession plan at Centennial. <laughs> and I remember when I first came at Centennial, it was like, well, Mike Jr. is going to be the future president. And for me, not being as um, aware then as I am now, I was thinking, oh, probably in six months. And it was seven years later. So I watched the growth and the development and the training and the co tough conversations and the outside advisors and the learning and the classroom participation that Mike went through, you went through to prepare, and this was many years ago, for taking over your dad's position as president. So if it's an internal, this is who's going to take the position, like in a family business, it, it's going to look a little different. Um, and sometimes you get an outside president, uh, you know, that comes in and helps with that process, the development of the next generation. But as far as for a public organization, I would say it's it's an ongoing process. It might be something that you do quarterly, like, again, making sure that you have a good succession plan and looking at the job description and just high level one hour each quarter. We're going to just make sure that nothing's really changed so that you're always prepared. But if you are a CEO, president, knowing that you're going to retire in three years, absolutely, that's not too late to start that process. Start taking inventory internally. Is there an identified candidate that we can groom and start putting them on that, that training track now? It's never going to be too late to start or too early to start, excuse me. And then if it's if you don't believe that the right candidate is internal, I would start taking personal inventory, talk to your advisors, talk to the, the chief people officer on the team. So what skill sets, experience, how does that align with our strategic plan I would absolutely start no no later than three years out. Awesome. Awesome. And for those of you that are already within that three-year window, 
that's when we start getting into, you may have to accelerate the conversations, right? And why three years? Because it takes time to build trust, to have these conversations, to be intentional. We're always going to paint the picture of what's ideal, but we can also talk about what if I'm surprised by something and I have to make a move in four months and six months and nine months, you know, what, you know, somebody just announced here in April, May, or June, that next April, May, or June, they're going to be exiting the organization. How do I prepare for that? Those are additional conversations that Becky and I would love to cover and we'll cover it another time to bring this episode to its uh, perfect conclusion. So Becky, I just have a couple questions for you. Um, what do you think is a very insightful interview question? One of my f- favorite pairs of question is, what are you most proud of in the last five years? And I, I always kind of get a little sad when people go, well, can I go back seven years? And I'm thinking, really? You don't have anything you're proud of in the last five years? Um, so that, that something there. And then the follow-up question is, what is your do-over? Um, I'm not a big person of, I don't have a lot of regrets. I have a lot of learnings. <laughs> so I'm not asking, you know, the do-over could be, boy, I had a conversation two years ago with, with my coworker and if I, I would do anything to get it back, well, what did you learn from that conversation? What, you know, what was it and how would you change it today? I'm not looking for people to say, oh, you know, I have no idea how to manage my time. And because of that, I blew this project. What I'm looking for is that you're humble, you're self-aware, and that you learn from the experience. Awesome. Awesome. Becky, thank you for joining me today uh, for this episode. Um, Becky and I do want to hear from you. So in the show notes, there's a link that you can provide some additional questions. You can ask us additional topics. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to make this a, a series of sorts um, to kind of walk people through this whole recruiting, talent attraction, succession topics, because um, we know that our audience has been asking for it. Um, so we appreciate all of you. Please provide us your thoughts in the show notes. Um, It's just a link to a form that you can anonymously throw in some questions. If you want to put your name in, I'm happy to quote you and one of your questions as well. Um, Becky, thank you for joining me in this week's episode, and we look forward to the next conversation. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. We hope you gain valuable insights and inspiration from today's episode. We invite you to join us on this journey of exploration and discovery as we continue to uncover the unconventional approaches and strategies that are shaping the future of leadership. Stay tuned for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Unconventional Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, being an unconventional leader means embracing new ideas and strategies to drive growth and innovation. So keep pushing the boundaries and challenge the status quo. And we'll see you next time on the Unconventional Leadership Podcast.